How's it guys? My name is Mark Haystack and you're listening to the Birding Life Youth Podcast. Today I have returning guest speaker Keanu Kanto who is going to share with us a bit of information he got from his experience with invasive species research and other discussions we have about different problem birds in South Africa. So Keanu, welcome aboard. How's it going, man? What you been up to lately? I think the last time I had you on was about a year ago. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, it's been great. Your podcast, I see, has been going really well. Uh, yeah, so I've been, I'm still at university, so I've been trying to go out birding every now and again. But I've been doing, doing a lot of local birding. And um, yeah, some aspects of that uh, we're going to talk about today. Mm, mm. And have, yeah, you had, so, have you had any chance to do some bio bashing in between your university work and stuff? Because I actually, I've seen, you know, your profile photos of you walking through like a river, which is actually a road with a camera <laughs> and binoculars in your hands. So you must get up to some sort of bio bashing. Yeah, that was a long Craig road. Um, it's like a little road off Sarkelge of the road in Limpopo province. Oh, that's near a, the, that's a cracker like a place. Yeah, there's been some amazing birding there this past summer with all the rains we've been having. I mean, we've had hectic rains. And so there's been some amazing sightings I've had there of crakes and um, bitterns and different types of warblers and things. So that was me busy looking for crakes and stuff along Crake Road. Uh, yeah, my mom wasn't too happy with the binoculars and camera <laughs> above the water there. Oh yeah, no, understandable. I've taken many chances like that, kayaking up a river with binoculars and camera equipment and, you know, chucking it in Ziploc bags to make sure, you know, just for safety reasons, but I couldn't leave it behind. So I understand you. Yeah, totally. you can't. Yeah. <laughs> These birds, you have to look for them in some interesting places sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Birding takes you to very interesting places and you've got to you can't hold back from taking your equipment with you. So anyways, <laughs> the main point yeah. of this podcast, Keanu, I'm really interested to find out about this post you had on your status, I think beginning of this month, you posted um, some pics on your status of hands-on experience with lovebird research. Where was that? And were those invasive lovebirds? Yeah, so that was quite a cool experience I had about, what is it, a month ago or so. With, so basically there's a a guy from Germany, a PhD student that I got to know through the local bird club I do some guiding for and stuff, um, BirdLife Northern Gauteng. And he's actually doing his PhD on the genetics of Africa's lovebirds. And so we've, here in Victoria East, we have a feral population of a bunch of different species that are interbreeding and stuff. So he wanted to get some some data from them, some genetic data. So I went, I joined him and had a look at what he does and stuff. Mm, that's pretty cool. And just out of interest, what were those lovebird species? So here in Pretoria, we've this general situation that we have is we have basically, so you've got the regular rosy faced lovebirds that many people will know from like Namibia, uh, yeah. Northern Cape along the Orange River. But then we also have, Two species, um, Fisher's lovebird and yellow-collared lovebird or mast lovebird, that's the other name, which come from East Africa. And they seem to be interbreeding quite a lot. 
they they often known as eye-ringed lovebirds because they've got quite a bit of a white eye-ring around the eyes. And hmm. that's the same group as um, Lillian's lovebird and black-cheeked lovebird that many people will know from their field guides. And th- those four eye-ring species, they, do, they interbreed quite a bit. They don't breed, they don't seem to interbreed as much with the rosy-faced lovebirds, interestingly enough. Mm theories for why that is um so the ones that we were ringing here in Victoria east were these iring lovebirds yellow collared lovebird and fishes lovebird sure okay and just before i get into asking more details about this this project and what it's all about and why over the weekend i went to jeffrey's bay for the long easter weekend to visit my omar there and you know while i was at it i thought i'll do some birding and we went down to cape st francis Okay, and well, I went to go look for some birds, but my parents wanted to check out the restaurants around town. So I joined them at a restaurant, and as I was walking from the the river mouth, I saw some weird, wacky, exotic species flying around in town, and they were making these screeching calls. And I found out they were lovebirds. <laughs> I got some photos of them, and they had dark make markings on the face. And um, could those possibly be the same species, like the the of invasive lovebirds that that you guys are ringing yeah it sounds like maybe you saw with the yellow collared lovebirds um because they have the other name is masked lovebird because they have this dark sort of mask okay yeah that sounds about right yeah but okay. they do interbreed a lot with the fishes lovebirds here in victoria and be some of the other iring species sure and so you get a whole spectrum of birds ranging from ones that look rather pure to ones which are like 50 50 hybrids to 75 25 hybrids and <laughs> goodness that sounds complicated sounds really complicated yeah and to try differentiate the species when they interbreeding the whole time like that must be next level yeah and i mean you can probably never really assume that any of them is really 100 percent pure genetically yeah <laughs> has a lot of implications in terms of twitches and people wanting to people listers basically that want to tick these birds off on their their southern african life lists yeah i I tell you what what i did is i was atlasing as much as i could over the weekend and so i just found i don't know what species they were you know I'm, i'm i'm not into my invasive lovebirds or whatever but i just went on bird last and i logged hybrid lovebird and i ticked that little tick box just for safety reasons, uh, don't count towards my life list because I don't want it to count towards my Eastern Cape list or my or any challenges that I'm taking part in. So I just ticked it off as hybrid lovebird. Um, and it, on uh, the genus name was just, I forgot what the genus was, but they just said genus hybrid, you know? So I didn't, I ticked it off for atlasing regions because there were, there was about 30 individuals flying around town there and they were just making such a racket. They were just so disruptive. And it was funny because (laughs) they were invasive in the area. Obviously, they were invading. And the reason I say that is because they were disturbing the other birds. They were making so much more of a loud noise than Mm. the other bird species in that neighborhood or in that town, for that matter. It was quite, they were all over the place. And um, it was quite funny because they were attacking the common starlings, which are also invasive. So (laughs) the invasives are invading each other at the same time as invading the indigenous bird species. So it was just mulled to see. And, um, yeah, I'm definitely not putting that on my life list, but I logged it for 
for bird lassing, uh, atlasing reasons. Yeah, I also use that um, love bird hybrid option quite often for atlasing. So that's quite useful that the that bird lasso has come with that option. Yeah, uh, indeed. Rosy faced lovebirds often you can kind of tell when they look pretty pure because the hybrids look quite different. But so those you can I suppose log, but I don't, and then it, but that's mostly for atlasing purposes. I know most birders wouldn't probably wouldn't tick a rosy faced lovebird off on their life list if they see it in Jobu. Uh, uh. But they argue that they've been around for like three generations. So maybe you could. So there's a whole lot of debate going on about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. So tell me a bit of the reasons why the research project you were involved in was taking place and what, what's its purpose? So the PhD student, he's basically collecting data from a bunch of different lovebird species around Africa. There's nine species. Um, so he's already been to some places up in Africa to collect data from wild lovebirds. So he basically just wanted to get some extra data from these lovebirds in Gauteng. And it'll be really interesting to see the genetics of them because we can kind of figure out which species are inside these feral lovebirds that you're seeing flying around. We know you might, we might see that they are, because what, what it looks like at the moment is that they might be hybrids between yellow-collared and vicious lovebirds mostly. But I mean, when the genetic test results come back, we might see that, or we might get some surprises, like there's some other species mixed in there and stuff. So they can actually serve through the DNA and see which species it originated from. Yeah, basically. I don't know the exact specifics, but yeah, that's the gist of it. Wow. Well, that's pretty high tech. That's pretty cool. Um, and that, yeah, indeed, it will be very interesting to find out where they originated from, what species are mingling here. Um, and then what what will they end up do you think they'll end up doing with this sort of data will they will they um, take action on something or or um, will they imply implement any measures of some sort uh, for the invasive lovebirds well i mean with the data that we get i mean it'll be interesting for us birders to see like how pure these birds are and then in terms of measures against the, these invasive species that will probably be carried out by if, it, if something does happen by like one of the provincial nature conservation bodies or something, yeah, then that'll probably depend a lot on exactly what plays out in the future with regards to how invasive these lovebirds become, because they are spreading quite quickly. And, you know, and do you know seen, if, if, if that has any bad effects on the ecosystems that where they spread into? So I've basically, I've been seeing them since 2015 was when I first saw my first lovebirds, feral lovebirds in Pretoria. I was a little lighty, but he running around on the soccer fields of my high school during orientation week when I first saw these noisy little birds flying over. And then, yeah, I was quite interested in what was happening there. So I looked a bit into it. I tried to identify the species. And then over the years, I've noticed, I noticed that they really seem to be spreading quite a bit around Pretoria. But at the moment, they seem to mainly be confined to more urban areas. They don't really spread out into more natural areas. So that helps a bit in terms of reducing any impact they have. Mm, that's kind of a good thing. Birds, yeah. Also, another thing is with their nesting sites. So here in Gauteng, we also have the rose ring parakeets, the ring parakeets, which often 
there might be a bit of a problem finding indigenous birds that nest in holes in trees like barbets and woodpeckers because those parakeets will often take over the nesting hole of an indigenous bird like a barbet and use it to raise their own young. But with the lovebirds, I've noticed that they seem to prefer nesting more in under the eaves of roofs, like they're just at, on the edge of a roof. And so they don't really take over nesting holes of other species, it seems. And then the, the main impact that I've noticed is just how noisy they can be. <laughs> sure, I, I totally agree. I experienced it over the weekend, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're trying to, often when you're trying to pick up bird calls and stuff when you're out birding and then you're just hearing these love birds. Oh, no, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, I'm sure we'll see in the future any other impacts they have. I wonder about that. I wonder about that. Um, yeah, so they don't seem to have that much of an impact because they're, they're mostly restricted to town and uh, built up areas. And, you know, just like the rosary parakeets are like that as well. But, you know, there have been studies of rosary parakeets impacts and, and this and that. And I, I'm very interested to hear more about that because, yo, let me let me give a bit of background to what I'm about to say. Um since I was much younger, say from six years old, um, I've, I've, I've loved going out into the bush and making bases and, you know, hideouts with my friends, but I was only told, I was told, I was told only to chop down the alien species. And that was the black wattle, the pine trees. Um, and so that's what we did. Me and my chummies, we would go into the bush. We'd make bases out of black wattle, you know, use the poles to make roofs and, and walls and stuff. Um, and so we would, we, we kind of learned to, to, restrict ourselves from chopping indigenous trees down because they, they, they meant to grow here. You know, we, we chopped the ones that are not supposed to be here and we had fun with that. And when I got into birding, I sort of carried over the same principle in, in, in the birding world where I would, you know, I started birding my neighborhood and I'd look for the birds and I started to notice, um, you know, the feral pigeons, the common starlings, the, the house sparrows to some degree are also invasive. Um, and, and stuff like that, you know, I started to notice that it's very, very common and uh, noticing the in, in invasive alien species in our area. And, 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 and I got to know more about what is alien, what is invasive, and that the definition of alien is a bird that's out of, the, say, the province. or So it can be a provincial alien, it can be a, 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 na a national alien a species, which means it's from a different country, and now it's it's spreading its population in South Africa, for example. And then it can be an alien and an invasive species, which means it's a, it's not from the area and it is invading, meaning it's caused it has a bad impact on the ecosystems here and the other species of birds. Um, so that got me really interested, and so I I made a list today of some invasive bird species in South Africa. And there's about ten, um, including the common starling common okay well this is just aliens not necessarily invasives as well yeah alien bird species include common starling common chaffinch the mallard chakar partridge house crow rosering parakeet house sparrow feral pigeon indian peafowl and indian minor and then obviously those those lovebirds three lovebird species that you mentioned and i don't necessarily like that they're around that's the statement i wanted to make now some people might have controversial opinions and stuff you know that no we shouldn't remove them and i'm very interested to find out about ways to go about removing them or controlling them at least because one of the things that i said last time was you can't exactly sterilize a minor <laughs> you can't exactly <laughs> fix it you know um so it doesn't 
spread anymore. That's that's kind of impossible. So do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, so like you say, it's quite controversial and people will often say like, it's not their fault that they're there and so why should we remove them? But then, I mean, I suppose it's humans put them there so humans have to solve their issues that they create with nature. So, mm. yeah, I mean, in terms of removing them, in South Africa, I'm not too aware of too many projects that have already taken place to remove these invasive species. Oftentimes, it's just been, I think, because they're so widespread already. Yeah. When it comes from miners, it's it would be next to impossible to really try to remove the entire species from South Africa. Yeah. On a small scale, I do know that, for instance, I think in Cape Town, if I'm if I remember correctly, they want to potentially remove the few house crows that are there around the, the international airport and stuff like that. <laughs> That's gonna make a couple of birders, or should I say listers, pretty unhappy. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's where I went to get my house crow. Well. <laughs> I went there to get my house crow, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there would, would be some slightly unhappy birders as well. <laughs> yeah. But you know what, Keone? I think the, the definition of birding changes when you become a, how can I say it, a lister in some ways. Uh, you know, you get bird watchers who just enjoy watching birds and it's just about watching birds. It's nothing to do with listing. And you get birders who... You know, they like the bit of competition and, and sharing observations with their friends and seeing who gets the most and and more hardcore missions. They go out into the mountain to find the Cape Rock jumper. You know, they don't go to Roy Else to take it off. Whereas the lister, the lister also likes competitiveness, but they they like listing wherever they go. They they enjoy building up a, a compiling lists of, of birds that they find on certain trips and sharing that with their friends and, and comparing it with their friends. But becoming a lister and birding, you must be careful it doesn't get to that next level where you you want to go find birds just for the list. You know, it's it can get dangerous, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's though something that makes birding so interesting is you've got all these different subsets of birders. And I mean, yeah... I personally don't really like to only search a bird just to add it as a new tick to my list. I'd rather enjoy the stuff. If I like twitch something, I would like to enjoy the sighting and get to know the species a lot more. Mm. But I mean, I think as long as it makes the bird a happy, like, I mean, this is a recipe, doing it as a hobby and it all comes down to what you enjoy and mm. what you get a kick of. Yeah, I mean. That's that, I suppose. Yeah, true. Very, very, very true. And it's it's all about the personal personality and 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 what you like. Um, I started birding with my camera, and that was just because I didn't have binoculars. My camera had a 12 times optical zoom, and I started birding in my neighborhood, seeing what species I could find. And my camera helped me, you know. It it helped me zoom in and get the shots. And if I didn't understand know what that cuckoo was, I would take it home and check the photo out and the one time it was you know it was it, it looked between a bar long-tailed cuckoo or a, a juvenile red-chested cuckoo and i had no idea what it was and i went home and i looked in my birds of africa book because that was my first book i got and i was looking at my photo and it was like a pretty crappy shady pixelated photo and i, I didn't know what this <laughs> was you know and so i thought no it's it's missing the red chest and the the, the, the defined bib and it's got lots of barring, especially on the tail. It must be a bar long-tailed cuckoo. And then, you know, looking back at the photo today, I can tell you that, goodness gracious, that was definitely a juvenile <laughs> red-chested cuckoo. <laughs> um, and that's another thing birders like. They like uh, photographing photographing every single species they find, and that's great. It's what pleases them. It's what 
gets them going. It's exciting. And, you know, those photographs can do great things for conservation and research. Um, and you can share photos. So every aspect of birding, there must be five plus different types of bird observers out there. Um, every single one of them have their benefits, but every single one of them have their disadvantages and their, you know, disadvantage. I think, yeah, you know, what, what I've noticed through my years of birding, I've, I've, I've been very blessed to have a mentor, Peter Ginn. He's a, he's an older generation birder and he grew up in Zimbabwe and before he became a birder, he was an egg collector and, uh, and he used to teach falconry and he was more of a, a bird biologist. Yes. That kind of thing. <laughs> um, and you know, he was more interested in that kind of thing and then he became a bird guide. And then he moved to South Africa and, and through these years, he made these bird books and he never to, to today, till today, he doesn't have a list. He never made himself a bird list. It's incredible. I was like, what? You know, when I first met him, when I was like 12, 13, I was like blown away. Why does he not have a bird list? That's what birders do. They show off their lists. And as I've been through the years of birding, I've grown in certain ways and, and grown in my own way of birding and found out more about what, what I like about birding. And it's, I'm moving further and further away from the listing parts because I'm nowhere near the, the other guys my age in the country. Some of them, you know, they're up to 700, 800, and I'm here, um, I'm between 470 and, and 490 um, on my bird list. And, you know, my, my list, is, it's just not my thing. I spend most of my time in the Western Cape. So Peter Ginn has kind of showed me, you know, it's more about observing the birds and understanding their biology, understanding the behavior, learning the nests. Because I found out the other day how exciting it is to find a bird's nest and, and identify what that nest is without seeing the birds sit on it. It's next level. It feels so good to have that knowledge and wisdom about, about birding. Because um, that's not just the average Joe Birdwatcher kind of style, you know? You're not just identifying the bird, you're identifying the eggs and the nest. So anyways, I'm just getting really excited about this. So my sort of bird watching, if I were to describe it, it would be appreciating every part of the bird. Um, and for me, the listing just isn't working, as I said. So this is the direction that I'm leaning more towards. And I think that's, it's really, it's really interesting. I think there's, there's other birders out there who do it and it's more of an old style kind of birding. I think, I think it's more old school kind of bird watching. Yeah. That whole, you know, taking it slower and, really trying to observe the birds rather than just simply ticking them off. That's also yeah. something I really enjoy. I did a podcast with Adam on that specific type of birding. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yes, I remember that one. Um, and yeah, so that's also my sort of birding, I'd say. I, I suppose all the birders get into these different subsets of birding through a variety of different ways. I mean, like you with a, a mentor or say you, you haven't had the opportunity to go out twitching too much, then you, it's always nice to, you know, look at your local birds a bit like more in depth. I also enjoy that a lot, like mm. having a, a local patch where you go to regularly. And then that's where you start to see interesting things like these lovebirds are starting to spread in your area or how this bird is nesting here and then you keep a bit of like you keep track of the progress of the nest and so there's all those interesting things you can get into when you start looking more in depth at birds and now with that said i, I i'm still wondering about what measures us as youth and citizen scientists could make um what effort we could make against the the disadvantages that invasive species bring 
Um, and, you know, there's not much we can do in terms of shooting them down because that's kind of cruel in some ways and it can be legal in other ways. And there are benefits and disadvantages of that. They are, are both of those. Um, so, you know, you know, hard material things we can't necessarily do, but social wise, in terms of the community, we could encourage others to, you know, not appreciate the invasiveness, but <laughs> um, what what's the right word to say? Um, to yeah, to just to be more aware, aware of, aware of them. Yes, yeah, precisely. Um, and one method I've been thinking about for a long time is simply not counting them on your life list. Yeah, I mean, I know a few people that we have said before that. I mean, why are we even counting these species in the first place? Oh, yeah. In, and then, because I mean, I suppose when people start counting them, then that provides almost a further, like a, almost a benefit to them being there. You know, if they're there, then I can tick them off on my list. I think basically it shouldn't really matter if you count them or not. Basically, you must just make sure what that birding in general is having more of a positive effect than a negative effect. So like... Don't keep the species there if you could remove it, maybe. Yeah. Just, just take it off on your list. Yeah. And now this is what I'm going to lay this out. Um, my, as I mentioned, my style of bird watching, you know, with that said, I feel this is just me. And I decided that I'm actually from today onwards. And I actually recounted my bird list just two days ago. And I, I know I circled all the invasive species that I'm reconsidering. And from today onwards, because I am not into my listing and it's more about the other aspects of birding for me, I'm not going to tick off the invasive species on my life list. I will still have in mind that I've seen them, but that's the way I'm going to go about my bird watching. And hopefully this, this will bring some sort of social and community impact um, towards other bird watchers and citizen scientists, uh, uh, bringing them more awareness of what the invasives are, 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 are doing to our ecosystems, you know, because if someone asks me, why aren't you ticking off these birds? Then I can tell them about my reasons. And perhaps that will bring some good impact to the social side of bird watching and awareness towards invasive species. And I'm not saying anyone else has to do that, um, as I said, but that would be great if others start doing it because the more people who do, the, the less peer pressure there is from others um, you have bigger lists than you imagine every single birder. This is just, just, just a question, you know, I'm just laying it out there and all the other birders <laughs> out there. What if every birder in South Africa didn't tick off invasive species, would you feel pressured to not tick them off? Yeah. I mean, I think if no one else was doing it, then I mean, the, the few people that were ticking them off would probably think, well, I probably shouldn't be doing this anymore because I seem to be inflating my list a bit. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so it's just a thought. So, yeah, Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> like you say, that's a, it's a interesting and it's a good way, I suppose, to like create some more awareness and stuff. I wonder, I'm, I'm going to yeah, see how that goes about. I'm going to see how that <laughs> how that rolls, you know. But just out of interest, Keanu, what what's your list on? I don't even really keep much of a list anymore. It's about 500 or so. <laughs> oh, really? That's interesting. I'm not very good at, like, like I said, I'm up. Like you, I kind of prefer the looking at birds rather than trying to just tick them off. But yeah, so my list has kind of fallen into disrepair over the past years. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to recount mine today. Uh, <laughs> check what the total is. But yeah, um, Keanu, good luck with university, man. 
Thanks for the chat. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Good luck with everything on your side as well. All right. Sharp, sharp. Cheers. And that wraps up season two of the Birding Life Youth Podcast. Please let me know what your thoughts are and I'll see you next season. Until next time, guys, don't forget to subscribe to the Birding Life on your social media platforms and listen to us on your favorite podcast players. Be blessed and happy birding. All the other way around, as I usually say it. Cheers.